Our text of scripture this morning comes from Acts of the Apostles, the second chapter, beginning with the 42nd verse. This is a story of the early church. This is an image of what that early church looked like as they began to gather together for worship and for service. I invite you to listen for God's word as it comes to us from Acts. They, the early church, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Awe came over everyone, because many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. And day by day, the Lord added to their numbers and those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please join me in a word of prayer. Gracious and loving God, we come once again to hear your word. And so we ask that you would quiet in us any voice but your own, that you would speak to us as only a living God can. For we pray in the name and for the sake of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. There's an old story about four pastors who were discussing the merits of various translations of the Bible. One pastor said to his colleagues, well, I prefer the King James Version. I think the elegance of the Old English, the poetic nature of that language is just so superior. Another one said, well, I prefer the New English Bible because I think it's more readable and it's more in contemporary language and seems more relevant. And a third said, you know, I really prefer, prefer the New Revised Standard Version of the Bible because it's incorporated the latest findings from the Dead Sea Scrolls. And it's the most accurate translation. And finally, they turned to their fourth colleague who was quiet. And they pressed him, well, what's your opinion? And he said simply, I prefer my mom's translation of the Bible. And they looked at him rather questioning your mother translated the bible and he said simply yes she did see she translated it into life and it's the most convincing translation i ever saw now we all know on this mother's day that mothers have a way of creating the very places where we feel like we belong and they often embody faith in action the teachings of Christ have to become real at home, especially during these days of pandemic, as we stay at home according to the social distancing rules. Somebody once said it takes six weeks to get back to normal after you've had a baby, but somebody doesn't know that once you're a mother, normal is history and life is never normal again. One of the most beloved mothers of a generation was Irma Bombeck. She wrote an article entitled, When God Created Mothers. Listen. When the good Lord was creating mothers, he was into his sixth day of overtime 
When the angel appeared and said, you're doing a lot of fiddling around on this one. And the Lord said, have you read the specs on this order? She has to be completely washable, but not plastic. Have 180 moving parts, all replaceable. Run on black coffee and leftovers. Have a lap that disappears when she stands up. A kiss that can cure anything from a broken leg to a disappointed love affair. And six pair of hands. Well, the angel shook her head slowly and said, six pair of hands? No way. Well, it's not the hands that are causing me the problem, said the Lord. It's the three pairs of eyes that mothers have to have. That's on the standard model, asked the angel. The Lord nodded. One pair that sees through closed doors. When she asks, what are you kids doing in there? When she already knows. And another in the back of her head that sees what she shouldn't, but what she has to know. And of course, the ones here in front that can look at a child when he goofs up and say, I understand and I love you, without so much as uttering a word. Lord, said the angel, touching his sleeve gently, come to bed tomorrow. No, I can't, said the Lord. I'm so close to creating something so close to myself. Already I have one who heals herself when she's sick, can feed a family of six on one pound of hamburger, and can get a nine-year-old to stand under a shower. The angel circled the model of a mother very slowly. It's too soft, she sighed. But tough, said the Lord excitedly. You cannot imagine what this mother can do or endure. Can it think? Not only think, but it can reason and compromise, said the creator. And finally, the angel bent over and ran her fingers across the cheek. There's a leak, she pronounced. I told you, you were trying to put too much into this model. It's not a leak, said the Lord. It's a tear. What's it for? It's for joy and sadness and disappointment and pain and loneliness and pride. You're a genius, said the angel. And the Lord looked somber. I didn't put it there. Irma Bombeck captured something of the glory and the suffering of what it takes to be a mother in her delightfully clever and witty way. Mother's Day is often a day of sentimentality, but it's also a painful day for many. Not all mothers have followed the original specs according to Irma Bombeck's description. Some of us have grown up in homes with mothers who were unable to love as we needed them to love us. Some lost their mothers too soon. Some have known manipulation and estrangement and abandonment and addictions and even mental illness in their mothers. And some have longed to be mothers and who could not. So we have to be careful on this day. This day doesn't bring joy and warm sentimental feelings for everyone. And we live in a culture with changing family values. More and more of us are likely to deal with broken families and reconfigured families. Many babies born today are born to single mothers. Some say as many as 40% of the children born in this country. And many of those mothers are children themselves. So we dare not be too sentimental about this day and the 
challenges we face raising the next generation. Our homes are supposed to be places of belonging, and thankfully for most of us, they are. Church is also a place of belonging, and for most of us, the church is. But just as our home life in this country is going through changes and transitions, church life, too, is going through transitions. And there's lots of speculation at the present time about what the future of the church is going to look like. There was a recent article in the Christian Century entitled, The Separated Body of Christ. And Presbyterians Today had a cover article entitled, The Digital Church Arrives, Is It Here to Stay? How will this pandemic change the church? Is this a church still of belonging. You know, several years ago at Monte Vista Grove, I had a chance to hear the former president of Fuller Seminary, Rich Mao, deliver a provocative presentation entitled Strategies for Building Bridges Between the Church and Modern Culture. Of the many important ideas that he shared in that lecture, one comment made a particularly deep impression upon me. After identifying our own period of history as postmodernism, he illustrated the kind of deconstruction that characterizes our time by telling of his own experience looking at a piece of art. The artist had simply dropped paint on a canvas and did nothing more with it, didn't try to manipulate it with a brush, nothing. Wherever it fell, however it splattered, that was it. Rich Mao confessed to an artist friend, I don't get it. To which his friend replied, that's precisely the point. All the traditional assumptions of what is art are being challenged. There's a suspicion of everything that has been received. There's a desire to rethink and challenge everything that we've known. If a Monet or a constable is considered art, how about this? Do you call this art? Paint just dropped on a canvas? Then Rich Mao, using that as an illustration, went on to say what that means for the church. That the same kind of challenge of every received assumption is being taken place. It's taking place now. How about this? Do you call this music a hymn? How about this? Do you call this a congregation? Do you call this ministry? Do you call this place a sanctuary? And that illustration has helped me to understand this phenomenon that I have experienced. What is church? Is the postmodern pandemic world something that's going to redefine what church is? Will we continue to meet online or will we long for a chance to gather physically in this space once again? For 20 centuries, the church has existed in one form or another, in one culture and another. The form is less important than the substance But some form is necessary, some social organization is needed to accomplish what the church 
needs to be and do. So our text today is one of the earliest forms of church, and it may hold a few clues for us as to what is church. Like Irma Bombeck's article, this might be described as when God created the church. There are no buildings, there are no organs, there are no crosses, there's no vestments, there's no stained glass windows, there's not even any donuts with coffee. Here we have a first century and perhaps earliest description of what the church looked like. It's more descriptive than prescriptive. And following Peter's first sermon, it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. So apparently church includes at least these five elements from the very beginning. Devotion, teaching, fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayers. This passage presents kind of an idyllic version of the church, really. By chapter 5 of Acts, the wheels begin to come off this model. And by chapter 15, open controversy over the Gentiles erupts, and the first of many councils of the church has to organize to try and resolve the matter. Before long, Paul's trying to raise money from the Romans and the Corinthians for the believers in Jerusalem. So apparently this very early attempt at communism led to poverty for everyone. This idea of complete interdependence with all things held in common didn't last very long in the church. But surely this idea of some voluntary redistribution of wealth for the sake of those in greatest need, that's persisted over these past 2,000 years plus of Christian history. This month we're supporting the needs of the homeless in our own area with a clothing drive and gathering hygiene kits to combat an outbreak of a skin disease. Next month, we're going to support the American Red Cross and support a blood draw here at the church. It's striking to me in this early text in Acts that they spent so much time together in the temple, day by day. And then they broke bread together at home, or kind of from house to house. It was almost like a progressive dinner, I think, with... And they did so with glad and generous hearts. Joy and generosity. Those were the results, the byproducts of their faith and the time that they spent together in church. Day by day, they spent much time together and day by day, the Lord added to their number. It wasn't once a week. It wasn't once a month or Worse, once a year kind of experience, church was something that happened day by day. At the heart of much of the entire emerging church model, the emergent church as it's known, it's a desire to see faith in Jesus Christ and the relationship we have with Almighty God released from the moorings of empty and weekly church ritual. 
somehow we need to return to this sort of vibrant, joyous, generosity-producing, day-by-day experience which characterized the very earliest form of church. Is that what you've experienced in church? Joy and generosity? I sure hope so. As one church expresses it today, the church needs to learn to breathe again with both lungs. Worship and mission. I like that. But this text might suggest a few more elements. Fellowship and the breaking of bread. Teaching and prayer. The San Marino Community Church is breathing with both lungs. Even during this period of social isolation. These past few weeks you've provided diapers during our diaper drive. You've provided funds for Union Rescue Mission. (coughs) For Door of Hope. Non-perishable food items for our local food shelves. You've even sewn masks that can be used at Monta Vista Grove. You're supporting the purchase of new hymnals for our worship life together. This is church, day by day, living into the reality of God's presence with us, breathing with both lungs, worship and mission. You and I are invited to become part of what God is doing in the world today. We can accomplish much more. And life is just more joyous when we are in this together in fellowship with one another. You know, if you visited our website before the worship service today, you probably saw these words printed there. We hope our vision becomes your vision and that you come to know the joy of living in community. Not an empty weekly ritual, but a vibrant, alive community of faithful people. I'm so grateful we have this technology so that we can remain connected during this period of pandemic and social isolation. We may not be able to gather physically, but we can still stay connected. And we can still worship and serve with one another. We're discovering in all sorts of new ways that church is not a building. It's whatever, wherever, and whenever we gather and get connected with one another. The image of the New Testament is that the church is the body of Christ. Believers are related to one another as parts of the body and the human body are related Except as the body of Christ, Christ is the head directing all of its parts. And that means that translates into the fact that we cannot be Christian alone. We need one another. Years ago, a pastor went to visit a man who was no longer attending church. They're discussing the man's participation in front of a fireplace and the pastor Asked him why he was no longer attending church. He heard all the usual complaints. Stuff about the hypocritical hypocritical behavior of people in the church. 
things he didn't like about others. All the stuff about didn't like the style of music and wasn't his preference for worship. And as they spoke, the pastor slowly kind of reached over to one of the logs in the fire and he set it apart from the others. Soon, that log stopped burning, although all the other logs were blazing with fire. When the pastor drew the attention of the man to the fire, he finally responded, okay, I see what you mean. You made your point. I'll be back next Sunday. A sure way to wither in the spiritual life is to go it alone. Fellowship with one another keeps the fires of our faith stoked and burning. Any one of us will, just like that log, burn out on our own. We need each other. Thanks be to God for the church. Thanks for gathering together in person, online, wherever and whenever we can gather Because faith is meant to be a communal act as well as a personal one. So may we in this church together discover that life-giving faith in Jesus Christ. That same faith which inspired the early church and has continued to inspire the church through century after century. May it inspire us day after day. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.